So here it finally is. Episode 1 of the Woe Dependent Podcast. After many years of delays and mostly procrastination, I finally decided to bite the bullet and give this thing a whirl. Most of y'all know that, that I've been doing music for 15 years now, probably more than that. I'd have to do the math. Um, and that's how I've, I've chose to express myself and, and to share my thoughts and, and connect with with y'all. And uh, for a while, I've, I've been wanting to do something different, um, something more direct that didn't have metaphors and similes and bars to sift through. So I decided on this. About 10 years ago, I, I was throwing around the idea of a podcast with... At the time, we didn't call it a podcast... Uh, because it wasn't, uh, podcasting really wasn't a thing, but I uh, was throwing around ideas with some people that I make music with and, and talking about our conversations that we have and and how other people needed to hear it. Uh, we felt like what we had to say was, was important and uh, maybe not even uh, important, but at least a little bit enlightening and entertaining. Ten years later, here it is. I'm going to be doing and talking about a lot of stuff. You know, music, pop culture, politics, conspiracy theories, religion, spirituality, love, life. You know, all the cliche shit. You know, pretty much everything. Um, A lot of podcasts are are far more structured and, and themed strictly sports or strictly hip-hop or strictly politics you know i want to i want to talk about all of it and because this is a a very unstructured uh setup you will hear (laughs) different things in the background from time to time uh, such as my children so yeah you'll get a glimpse into my life uh that way I suppose I'll also be having on special guests and by special guests I mean friends of mine uh, loved ones I'm sure you'll see Pistol Pete quite often Uh, we like to talk about music and sports basketball and rap specifically Uh, might have on Erica if she feels like putting up with some more of my shit and my shenanigans Who knows? I might bring on my 12-year-old son, Kingston. He's a very enlightened and funny, personable for his age. I'm sure he's got some jewels he can drop. Eventually, I'd like to get some uh, local talent on here, interview different people, different creators, not even necessarily rap or hip-hop artists or, or even strictly musicians, but, you know, all kinds of creators. I just want this to be a different kind of experience than what y'all are used to. And I know that's what most everybody who creates, and especially in this section of creativity, the podcasting, everybody wants to say that they're different and claim that they're doing something that nobody else is doing. But I truly believe that I am one of one. Uh, Those who actually know me uh, 
will tell you the same thing. My experiences aren't like anybody else's. My thought processes aren't really like anybody else's. Um, And that's not to say anything negative about anybody else. I'm just saying that I'm a little different. And I hope that uh, I can put something together for y'all to give you a little bit of insight into that into my world, into my thoughts, into my creative process. So here it is, the Woe Dependent Podcast. I hope y'all enjoy. So I've been racking my brain since this idea first came about, thinking about exactly what the first segment would be about, what the first topic of conversation would be, And I didn't want it to be something extremely out there, like some of the crazy conspiracy theories. But I also didn't want it to be something more frivolous, um, like the NBA draft or T.I. versus Jeezy, which ended up being Gucci Man versus Jeezy. And don't get me wrong, we'll end up talking about that stuff and stuff like it. I just didn't want to kick off the the pod with something like that. I wanted to kind of give y'all an insight to my beliefs and and my core values so y'all would have a, a better understanding of what to expect or why I think the way that I do. So I figure a good starting point um, would be to talk about where I am spiritually my spirituality, um, what my religious beliefs are, what makes up my moral compass, what motivates me spiritually, um, and, and I guess just my thoughts on God in general, and I guess that's where I'll start. Contrary to what a lot of people think about me uh, based on stuff that I post that is anti-religion, A lot of people assume that I'm atheist, and I used to be whenever I was a teenager, and we'll get into that later, but that is not the case now at 32 years old. I do believe in God uh, 100%. I just don't believe in God as a singular outside entity or being that is uh, watching us and watching our every move and judging our every move and all of our behavior. I don't believe he's, you know, the old man in the sky with a beard looking down, judging us. I believe God is everything collectively. You, me, nature, animals, uh, feelings of unconditional love, uh, life events like conception, birth, death, I believe all of those things collectively make up God. I believe we are a part of that fabric. We are part of what God, in quotation marks, is. I do believe that there are bits of truth uh, throughout all religions, especially whenever it they talk about unconditional love and, and the importance of family and the importance of community 
and oneness and connect connectedness and how we all are together and in this together i agree with that completely and i think the majority of people would agree with those uh morals and that moral code and moral compass the emphasis on unconditional love and loving those around us and loving our family and loving our community and realizing that we are one that we are connected i think that most of us can agree with that but now here i'm about to cross into some territory which is weird to say but shocking to a lot of people and this might offend some people and this might turn a lot of people off to me um, just simply based on what I believe about this but I don't believe in hell I don't believe uh, in hell as in like a permanent separation from God because I didn't follow a certain set of religious rules and, re and regulations I don't believe that there's anything that anybody can do that will cause uh, in, a, eternal damnation or or God to sever his connection with you and cast you out into the fiery depths of hell. And I'm not saying that our actions and behaviors don't produce a reaction. I don't I'm not saying that that all of our we can do whatever we want and it goes unchecked. I'm not saying that at all. I believe everything is energy and that our actions can cause positive and neg and negative ripples throughout this entire experience or reality or the universe, whatever it is that you want to call it. A lot of people would label that belief as uh, a belief in karma. Uh, what goes around comes around. And I guess if that's what you want to label it, then that's my belief. If you are uh, mean and deceptive and hateful towards people, and that's the energy that you give off, then I believe that you will receive the same energy in return, whether it be sooner or later, and vice versa. If you project positive energy and positive vibrations out into the world and you are genuine with your intent and you show compassion genuine compassion and unconditional love I believe that you will receive that in return but intent is everything you can't fool God or the universe or the energy or the vibrations your intent is is known by the source no matter how hard you hide, try to hide your intent from other people, deep down in, in your own heart and soul, you know what your true intent is. An example of what I'm talking about uh, would be people with uh, big platforms, big media platforms, big social media platforms, and with money, and they use those things to carry out good deeds, quote-unquote good deeds, but it's not to do something good or to help someone else out. It's to further their brand or their image or their likes or their viral aspirations. Such as people who seek out homeless people. People in really terrible situations. These people will seek out homeless people and record themselves giving them money, helping them out, quote unquote 
giving them food, buying them clothes, giving them a bicycle, putting them up in a hotel room for a few days. In my opinion, doing shit like that for your to promote your own brand or promote your own image, promote your own likeness is is terrible. It's one of the most despicable, horrible things that you could do. I would put that at the same level as someone intentionally oppressing someone else. Someone inten- intentionally uh, keeping money or keeping food, food from somebody. Somebody keeping shelter from somebody. I, I put those two things at the same at the same level. Again, going back to intent. What is your intent? You can do something good for someone, but if you do it for any other reason besides the fact that it's good for that person, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. If you want to help somebody out, put the camera fo- put the camera down, put the camera phone down, stop, get off Facebook, get off Instagram, just quit posting about it. If you post about it, that means your intent was in the wrong place. It wasn't about helping this person. It was about helping you. Period. Point blank. Bottom line. You are no better than the corporate and political entities that benefit from poverty or from homelessness. You are no better than them. You are on the same level because you are using someone else's bad situation, someone else's oppression for your own personal gain. So I guess essentially your intent creates your reality. Whatever it is that your intent is, that is what you will attract to yourself. That is my personal belief. It might change in 5 years, 10 years, 15 years. Like I said, when I was 17, 16, 17, 18 years old, I was atheist. I had books by atheist scientists and authors. Richard Dawkins, some of y'all know who that is. Um, one of my favorite books for the longest time was called The God Delusion, and it was an entire book trying to disprove the existence of God or the soul. So things change, people can change, their perceptions can change, but as of right now, that's what I believe. So now that y'all have a basic kind of overview and summary of my spiritual beliefs, my, my moral compass things like that, I guess I'll get into me, who I am, highlights of my life story, so to speak, just the basic gist of of who I am and, and where I come from and my background. A lot of people call me Wody. That's how most people address me when they see me is Wody, um, which is short for Sea Wody, and Sea Wody is short for Cody Wody Um, and it's funny how I took something that my my great aunt um, did she she gave me that she called me Cody Wody or Cody Odeo and and I took that and abbreviated it and and made it my my stage name my rap name it's not it's no gangster shit it's it's nothing like that it's it's a take or an abbreviation uh, of what my great aunt used to call me. My real name, 
or my government or my slave name is Cody. I was born in 1988. I'm an 80s baby and I'm very proud of that. I was born in Pensacola, Florida at Sacred Heart Hospital. The same hospital that my my papa, my dad's dad was born at, which is crazy because I was we were born on the same day. My dad's dad and I have the same birthday. I was born May 19th, 1988. He was born May 19th, 1920. And that is a big reason why one of my middle names is what it is. William. Uh, my entire name is Cody William Alexander Miller. Uh, I got, or my mother got the William from my papa. His name is William Miller. Uh, or Bill. That's how, that's what everybody called him was Bill Miller and my mother uh, loved her father-in-law very very much and wanted to honor him and the way she did that was she gave me his name originally she wanted me to be a junior when she first found out that she was having a boy she wanted to name me after my father she wanted me to be Darren Paul Miller the second but my father wasn't having it. He didn't want to have a junior. Um, I will give him that much credit. He didn't want to have a child and then them not have their own identity or name. So he shut that down uh, pretty much from the jump as soon as my mom brought it up. But she she kept pushing and pushing and pushing till the very end. Uh that she wanted me to be a junior. She wanted me to be Darren Miller II. And Dad wasn't having it. So they were looking for names through baby books and shit like that. And they stumbled across Cody. And then they, they just went from there. And that's what they agreed on. So about six months after I was born, we moved to Saudi Arabia. Now, most people assume, whenever I tell them that, that it was a military thing. That my dad was in the military and that we had to move over there uh, because he was stationed over there. But no, my father wasn't in the military. We moved over there on a work visa, on my father's work visa. His father, my pawpaw, the person I just got done telling y'all about, at the time, he was the vice president of a oil piping company called Alcatani. Alcatani is the the last name of the family that owns the company. So my papa offered my father a position at the company, and the the money was incredibly good. Uh, everything the company paid for everything they paid for where you stayed we lived on a compound that was owned by the company they paid for the truck that dad drove they paid for the gas in it so they didn't really have to pay for anything except for food and whatever else they wanted to do uh, all the other money that they they were putting back and saving for when they came back to the states or on you know vacations and shit my parents liked to spend money. When they had money, they, they enjoyed spending money. Uh, when we were overseas, they went on uh, tons of 
vacations. I've been to, I mean, more places than I can count or remember. I've been to Amsterdam multiple times. I've been in Paris multiple times. London. All throughout Saudi. I've I've been and stayed at a lot of different places, I guess. So going back to why people assumed that my dad was in the military and that was the reason why we were living in Saudi. Uh, while we were over there, the Gulf War broke out, the Persian Gulf War. Uh, the Gulf War was between Iraq and uh, Saddam Hussein and uh, Saudi and the United States military backing Saudi. Uh, in layman's term, Saddam thought that that land in Saudi belonged to him and that he wanted to come in and take over a certain uh, section of Saudi Arabia. And it was a build-up. Everybody kind of knew what the, the path that we were on uh, that it was going to turn into actual like armed conflict and all that shit, all that good war stuff. So I had to run drills with my my mom and my dad. Essentially, we were everybody had gas masks. Everybody had government issued gas masks uh, because it was a certainty that. Saddam was going to use biological weapons, chemical weapons, and attack areas in Saudi Arabia. And so there was the gas mask, and there was also these suitcases for children and women. And what would happen is it was supposedly designed to shield you from a biological or, or chemical attack. You basically got zipped up in a, in a suitcase-looking thing with air vents on the side. And it was supposed to protect you from biological and chemical attacks. And I ran through drills like that, uh, I mean, a bunch. More times than I can count. So the Gulf War broke out and everyone who wasn't a natural born citizen or there on a work visa had to leave. Um, so that meant that me and my mom had to leave the country and dad was staying. The thing is, though, it was war and the public airports were shut down. They weren't there were no commercial flights. So my mother and I literally had to be smuggled out on a military cargo plane. There were no, there were no like aisles, no seats, uh, none of that. People in the military know what I'm talking about. It's just a, a huge metal fucking plane with, with a huge cargo wide open area. And I remember being ducked down with mom covered up because, you know, the wind's coming in. And and there's literally there's literally Scud missiles going off uh, around the plane, and I and at the time I, I remember just kind of being uh, confused, not really grasping the entire uh, situation, the enormity of the situation, the danger of the situation. The time I was four years old, five years old, something like that, and and I didn't you know I didn't really 
understand. I knew that there were these loud noises that sounded like thunder that kept happening and, and me and mom were ducked off in a plane, but I didn't understand why, like what was going on at the time. So mom and I ended up making it back to the States safely, but it wasn't a direct flight from Saudi to the U.S. It was, we went from the military cargo plane in Saudi to Paris, I believe, in France. And from there, our military, uh, the United States military met us and then escorted us back to the United States, which was a flight from France to Atlanta and then from Atlanta to Pensacola where my mom's parents were living at the time. And it's crazy because we were considered, I can't remember the official terminology, but basically victims of war, people who are, who are displaced by war. Um, that's, that's what we were. And at the time of being a child and, and going through all of this, I didn't understand why. I didn't understand why we were on a big military plane. I didn't understand why. Every time we landed or every time someone came and talked to us, it was somebody wearing camouflage or, or in, a, in a military suit of some sort. I didn't get it. It was just life happening and me as a, as a toddler, as a four-year-old, a five-year-old dealing, dealing with all of this. So when the conflict died down, me and mom were able to go back to Saudi um, and see dad, obviously, reunite with him and... And, and we lived there for a couple more years before we decided to move back or before they decided that they wanted to move back. Um, when we moved back, we moved to Mississippi, uh, Purvis, Mississippi. We moved to Purvis, Mississippi because uh, my dad's dad, again, my papa, he owned a, he was a, a real estate person too like he was he was an all-around business man um back in the day when during the prohibition era uh he was a moonshine runner he was like the original hustler he made moonshine out in the middle of the woods and then would run from the cops who were trying to shut down the the stills <clears throat> but he had uh a farm. It was a 200 acre farm in Mississippi. And what it was, was an emu farm. We bred and sold emus, whether it be for emu eggs or emu meat or uh, emu oil was a big thing uh, that my parents and grandparents always had. Uh, it's apparently it's a really good oil for your hands. It, it hydrates a lot. Um, but that's what we did. That's what we moved, we moved back to uh, once we left overseas. And to clarify, an emu is a big-ass fucking bird. It, it looks like an ostrich. It's just like legs, neck, and beak. Um, supposedly, emus are one of the only species of animals that was around during the time of the dinosaurs. They're they're technically a, like a prehistoric bird so there's your little random bit of aviary knowledge i don't even know what the fuck you call it uh, when it comes to emus but yeah there's your random bit of fucking big bird knowledge
so once we left Mississippi, we ended up moving back to Lillian to the place where we lived whenever I was uh, originally born. And yeah, that started my stint back here in Baldwin County. And I went to uh, Alberta Middle School and then Foley High School. Like most people who grew up my age, now there's an actual Alberta High School. So people who don't who go to Alberta won't go to Foley. And I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. There's not a whole lot that happened with me personally. I mean, there is, but n nothing too crazy during that time period. I guess the, the most uh, dramatic thing that happened was when mom bought the video store in Lillian, uh, which was C&J Video and then M&M Video. And then mom bought it on auction and then changed it to front row video. And the drama came in when the quote-unquote Bible-thumping people in, in the local government, local politics, they it was re-election time, and they were trying to find some moral high ground to stand on. So they decided that they were going to go after and attempt to close all of the businesses and video stores that sold uh, adult content adult movies adult magazines and that lasted a, a pretty long while looking back it makes more sense now why people started acting differently towards me at school i didn't really understand what was happening i didn't con i didn't connect the two i didn't understand that some of these kids have parents who who are very conservative very religious people and that they were judging me and my parents and my mother based on you know what what she did for a living eventually they ended up throwing pretty much everything out i think maybe in the beginning she had to pay a fine for for some shit like distribution of obscene material within so many feet of of a, of a religious building or some something fucking ridiculous but yeah she everything worked out in the end even though it was a definite factor in her early death it aged her uh, a lot going going through all of that and, and it stressed her out and and put her on a uh The stress killed her. The overall stress of, of everything from that, from the, everything that she dealt with from the video store, eventually the stress from it killed her. And yeah, that little stretch of a year, year and a half, it felt like maybe it was shorter than that. Um, but uh, all of those court hearings and not sure if she was, you know, what was going to happen, if they were going to shut down her business, if she was going to go to prison, you know, this, that, or the other, all of that took a toll on her and took many years off of her life. But anyways, I, I wasn't even trying to get into all that. that. That's something that I'll go deeper in well, in the future, in future episodes. I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to do all that and go there with, with this right here at, at this second. So I apologize. So anyways, uh, I graduated from Foley in 2006. Um, and shortly thereafter, that's whenever I started uh, while in the fuck out, so to speak, 
I started doing a lot of drugs and then doing a lot of drugs led me to selling a lot of drugs. In 2006, December 17th, 2006, a week before Christmas, I was arrested coming back from Atlanta with uh, 56 grams of cocaine. If you do math, that is two ounces and 500 ecstasy pills. I was charged with uh, trafficking cocaine and possession with intent to distribute ecstasy. At the time, uh, the way Georgia laws were set up, they hadn't really dealt with that amount of ecstasy on a regular basis. So I got, I kind of got lucky because it, there was no trafficking charge for it. It was just possession with intent to distribute. And in Georgia, trafficking drugs, trafficking cocaine especially, there is no bond. Uh, in Georgia, the law is is that if you get caught trafficking something like cocaine, that the mandatory minimum, no matter your criminal history, even if it's your first offense, the mandatory minimum is 10 years straight in prison. No parole, no time cut, no time served, nothing. 10 years straight, mandatory minimum, if you're convicted of trafficking. So I sat in there for four months. I was in jail in Georgia for four months before uh, my lawyer was able to get me a bond hearing with a judge who would give a bond for a trafficking cocaine charge. Now, it was all good news that I ha that I got a bond until he set the bond amount. The bond amount for me to get out was $250,000. Yeah. Thank God for my mom. Thank God for her being in the financial position that she was. Um, thank God for her loving me the way that she did. Without her support, I, I would have just gotten out of prison last year in 2019. I was arrested in 2006, convicted in 2009. And yeah, they wanted to give me 10 years. So without my mom helping with the lawyer, I would have been fucked. She got uh, one of the best lawyers in the area where I was arrested. Um, almost $50,000 for this fucking lawyer. But it obviously got the job done. The DA wanted to give me once we got past the, okay, we're not going to give him 10 years straight because I was basically 18 at the time when I was arrested. Instead of giving me the 10 years straight, uh, the DA recommended two years. They wanted to put me in prison for two years. But the judge saw my support system, saw my family behind me and the fact that I had just had my second child. He was less than a year old whenever I was convicted. Um, so he gave me two years suspended with five years probation, a two-year prison sentence, but they suspended it and then gave me five years probation. But if I fucked up, then I would go and finish my sentence in prison. Going back a little bit, though, um, after I was arrested in 2006, the following year in 2007, 
I was arrested again in Alabama and then picked up two more felony charges that were pending at the same time that my drug trafficking charges were pending. And again, shout out to mom. She got me one of the best lawyers in Baldwin County, uh, Donald Bolton. That was $10,000 per charge and there was two. So that was another $20,000 to a lawyer. Um, and I ended up getting five years probation for that. So from 2006 all the way to 2014, I was either out on bond or on probation and taking drug tests for eight straight years. And surprisingly, I only had two fuck ups while on probation and I'm thankful for my probation officer at the time, Jody J. He was very, very cool. He wasn't an asshole to me. He was very understanding and he was very respectful. The first fuck up wasn't really that bad. I didn't violate. Like I said, he was real cool about it. He called me one day after one of my color code drug tests and was like, dude, have you been drinking? It's like, yeah. He's like, why? It's like, what do you mean, why? I'm of age, I can drink. <laughs> he was like, bro, when you're on probation, when you're on felony probation like this, you're not allowed to drink either. And that shit blew my mind. That blew my doors off. I, I didn't understand that at the time. I was like, wait, what? I can't drink either? He's like, no, bro, fucking stop. <laughs> I was like, okay, shit, my bad. The second one was a bigger fuck up, but it still wasn't like bad. It, it didn't end up as bad as it could have. I ended up failing a drug test for marijuana, and I knew that I was going to fail. So I called him, and I told him, <clears throat> and he was like, all right, dude, just talk to me next month when you have to check in, and and we'll see what we're going to do. So I go, and I check in, and he straight up like, look, man, you're not a bad kid you you're not you know you're not i can look at you and see you're not a hard drug user anymore you 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 know you you look good you you're on the right path so here's what's going to happen i'm not going to violate you i am not going to notify your judge that you failed a test no the the court will not know about this but in order for me not to tell them i need you to voluntarily enroll at the shoulder admit yourself to the shoulder it was like a self-admittance thing it wasn't like court ordered and at first i was like all right that's cool but then the more time passed and it started creeping up that i was gonna have to you know sign up and actually do it i had to spend nine weeks there once it started creeping up i didn't like the idea um at the time and this was around the time that i was still pretty set in my atheist ways I didn't like the fact at all that it was a Christian based facility and I was being made to go to a Christian based facility because technically if anybody if y'all didn't under uh, know this or understand this <clears throat> the fact that Baldwin County uh, sentences people to uh, religious facilities such as the shoulder faith based facilities it's illegal you're not supposed to be able to do that. But we live in fucking Baldwin County, Alabama, and nobody can hear you scream. <laughs> and I did. I uh, I talked to my lawyer a bunch about that fact, 
and he said yeah that's true but you really don't have a choice and if you're trying to push on that push back on on going to the shoulder the only other option is a place up in Birmingham so you can either <laughs> you can either drive an hour to Daphne or you can drive all the way up to fucking Birmingham where you have nobody to come see you and that pretty much sealed my decision <laughs> so I went and I spent nine weeks at the shoulder I uh, started in November-ish I was there I know I was there through Christmas shit I might now that I think about it I think I started in December and then didn't finish until almost February cause I, I was out during Thanksgiving but then yeah I was in during Christmas so yeah, I spent nine weeks there and got out and then ended up, I didn't fuck up anymore from that point forward and I wasn't supposed to get off, I wasn't supposed to get off probation until 2015 or 16, but because I had done so well, I went in one day and they were like, all right, the next time you check in will be your last time, you, you've done really well, you've paid, you, you haven't missed anything, you haven't had any big fuck ups. So we're basically letting you off early for good behavior. And oh my fucking God, I smoked so much weed afterwards. Um, and between this time and 2006, I had gotten in a relationship. Well, during this whole time, I was, I was with the same person. We ended up getting married. Uh, we were together for almost six years, married for four almost four but then we ended up getting a divorce in 2012 we split in 2012 the divorce wasn't finalized until like march 2013 so dealt with that <clears throat> that was an ordeal uh anybody who's who has been through a divorce uh messy one knows how bad it is it is one of the most excruciating and heartbreaking things that you will ever fucking go through especially when children are involved i uh since we're being open i uh got really bad off on liquor and sleeping pills because i didn't want to i didn't want to be awake so i took the sleeping pills and when i was awake i didn't want to feel shit so i constantly drank that was about a two-year period from 2012 to 2014 I was I mean I was just a, a fucking wreck I was off the rails I mean I was working I worked at the hangout for a while it's like I, I wasn't like homeless and shit but I was when I was in my free time I was just there were there were no limits other than I, I wasn't doing hard drugs anymore I was I was drinking eating sleeping pills and, and fucking basically whatever as terrible as that sounds but if you've ever been through a divorce you try to find whatever it is to kind of to fill that hole that that gap in you and you just try to use whatever it is that you can so i used uh, liquor sleeping pills and sex that was what i leaned on for a good while about 2014 maybe end of 2014 was whenever I finally started to feel like myself again where I finally rediscovered myself rediscovered uh, who I am 
outside of, you know, that relationship. And that was a really good feeling. A lot of y'all know what I'm talking about whenever you, you know, you're going through a breakup or a split or or divorce and you think that you'll never get over somebody and then you finally do. Um, It's liberating. It is fucking exhilarating. It's one of the best feelings in the world. So it sucks. The next part of my, the next chapter of my life, because I didn't get long to really enjoy that feeling. 2015 came and that 2015 is hands down the hardest year of my entire life. A lot of people are like, oh, 2020 is the worst. 2020 just put me through hell. This shit ain't nothing compared to what I went through in 2015. In 2015, in a span of four or five months, my grandfather, who I was extremely close with, died. My dog, Merlin, who, if you know me, you know how important Merlin was to my life. My dog died. Shortly after that, my ex-wife and her new husband took my son and they moved to Virginia because that's where her new husband was stationed. And then a month later, I think he left in August, a month later after Kingston had moved up to Virginia, my mom died. Uh, September 22nd, 2015. She was 49 years old. And yeah, that just kind of topped off a an already incredibly difficult year. Every time something happened, I asked myself, how much worse could it get? And it kept getting worse until that point and then even after that um my dad my dad went off the fucking rails he got arrested a bunch he he started using fucking heroin and and cocaine and crack and just absolutely went fucking off the rails took took all of mom's insurance money um kicked me out kicked me and my my family out and yeah uh it was just an incredibly fucking hard year i do want to say though i i i did get caught up in how bad 2015 was all the traumatic and sad events that happened in my life but there was one extremely bright the brightest silver lining and that was meeting erica how we met and and the the beginning of our relationship how our relationship actually started is not the most romantic thing it's not the most romantic story that you will hear but essentially i knew her from facebook i knew her because she was dating one of my music associates i guess you would call it and they broke up he cheated on erica which he did with everybody that he was with beforehand. And I saw and I added her on Facebook. Uh, Y'all can suck my dick and kiss my ass if you have a problem with that. But six years later, we're still together. 
the first interaction between us went something like she posted a status talking about how she needed a blunt and sex I believe something that had to do with weed and sex and I uh, I messaged her and was like hey I like weed and sex too and we immediately headed off from there I invited her over that night I th- I invited her to that night to come over the following night. I think something happened and she wasn't able to come. But the next night, she ended up coming over. And we slept together the night that we met. And we've been together ever since. It was like, hey, nice to meet you. I'm your soulmate. Let's do this. And like I said, six years later, we're we're still going strong. We've... We've only spent a handful of nights away from each other, and that was whenever we first got together. And she was she lived in Mobile at the time. I lived in Alberta, and she was literally driving out to see me every single night and then getting up the next morning and then driving back to Mobile. And so eventually I was just like, well, that's a long drive to keep making every single day do you just want to live together and then yeah we moved in and we haven't been apart since we haven't spent an entire night apart since we've been living together it's you know like I said it's not the most uh, romantic beginning ever you'll hear many many stories that are much more romantic and touching than what I just told you But I wouldn't trade it for anything because if it wasn't for how it went down, I I don't think I ever would have met her. I wouldn't have Nola and Andre. We wouldn't have had kids. I wouldn't have the family that I have now. So I am forever grateful for her and the fact we both like weed and sex and for Mark Zuckerberg for creating the platform for us to connect. (laughs) Oh, and I, I can't forget... I really appreciate Hitman for fucking up y'all's relationship. Without your inability to be faithful, I never would have met Erica. Thanks, homie. So now Erica and I are coming up on seven years of being together. And it's just really incredible. It, it, It doesn't seem that long, but... It it seems like we've been together for a lifetime. I know that sounds kind of like cliche and all that, but yeah, it it's the truth. I've never felt more comfortable with anybody in my entire life. I've never been more open. I've never been more trusting. I've never received the kind of loyalty and love that that she gives me every single day. I really believe that she's my soulmate and that we are supposed to spend the rest of our lives together. I don't see myself ever being in a serious relationship with anybody else ever again. I never want to be without her. I love her more than anything, and I'm so grateful for her. She has, she saved my life. Um, I've told y'all that before, but um, I'm being serious. Without her, I wouldn't have made it through mom dying and all the rest of the stuff that that I've gone through she was there to support me she never gave up even whenever I intentionally tried to push her away 
there were times in the beginning where I, 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 I was trying to push her away and she, she wouldn't give up. And I'm so, I'm so thankful because if she would have gave up on me, eventually I would have given up on, on myself. She is what motivates me. She is who reminds me that I'm special, that I'm talented, that I mean something. She reinforces that every single day. And I couldn't thank her enough for that. Um, I'm truly and forever grateful for her, for meeting her, for her coming into my life and for her loving me the way that she has, for her being the mother that she is, the partner that she is, the, even the mom to my sons, being a stepmom to them. You know, she's, it's not even like she's a stepmom. She literally loves them as, as if they were her own children. I know you'll be listening to this at some point, and I just want to tell you that I love you, baby, and thank you for everything. And I guess that wraps up the summary on me. Um, I mean, so far as professionally, if, if you're listening to this, you know what I do professionally. I'm an independent artist. I rap, I write, I perform, I record, I release, I talk shit. It's just kind of what I do. And I'm glad that y'all are here for the ride. Well, that was fun. I just want to say thank y'all to everybody who's tuned in. Everybody who listens. Everybody who supported me in in any sort of way over the last 15 years that I've been creating and making music. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know this first episode wasn't all that exciting that will change in future episodes when I start having more guests and more dialogue, more back and forth, more interesting topics to speak on. This first episode, I just wanted to get y'all acquainted with me, kind of give y'all an inside look into my life, my beliefs, my background, just kind of where I come from, where I've been. I Hopefully I, I told y'all some stories that y'all haven't heard before let y'all see things that you might not have known but like i said this is a work in progress this is the first thing that i have created outside of music in 15 years so it's a process and uh it will get in exciting and we'll get into some more uh interesting topics and subject matter that doesn't strictly involve me which don't get me wrong there will be more shit that revolves around me but not as much thank you again um i hope y'all enjoyed yada 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 blah 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 i wish i had some pre-wrote outro type thing for y'all but i don't i'm just doing this on the fly trying to be as authentic as i can as my fucking phone dings I miss you so much. I'm so ready for this day to be over. I'm ready for my wife to be home. Um, And yeah, thank y'all. I will be back hopefully within the next week. I know the first episode took quite a while to come out, but here it is. And I hope to see you again soon. Thank you so much. This has been the first episode of the Wodependent Podcast.